there, Anna Davis, flying solo for this episode. So fall is my favorite season. My birthday is in October, so the bias for autumn has been with me since day one. Leaves change, winds shift, sunshine becomes more rare, and rain becomes more frequent. The cooler weather pushes me inside, where I usually spend more time reading, doing craft projects, and laying in bed. But the number one thing I absolutely do the most during colder months is watch movies. Most specifically, watch horror movies. This Halloween season, I want to pay tribute to the wide, weird world of horror. I have nostalgia for horror movies unlike any other genre. And even if you aren't a horror fan yourself, I suspect you may relate to some of what I have to say about what makes horror so magical. So sit back, relax, and let's take a nostalgia trip into horror movies. It won't get too scary. I promise. Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Please tell me someone got that Sound of Music reference. Anyway, one of my earliest memories in life is when I was six, my dad and I built a fort out of bedsheets, pillows, TV trays, and microphone stands in our living room. I think at this point I had already expressed an exceptional passion for movies. One, my parents satisfied with screenings of classic westerns, technicolor musicals, and most importantly, universal monster movies. This particular memory was when I watched my first Universal monster movie, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Having been released in 1953, this was very late in the legacy of Universal monster movies, which pioneered the genre starting in 1931 with the release of Dracula and Frankenstein. The Creature from the Black Lagoon is a classic sea monster movie. Scientists travels to research evidence of some kind of sea anomaly. The monster is real and is in love with the main character's love interest. Cheesy horror ensues, etc, etc. It's truly a perfect horror movie for a six-year-old, because it's not really horrifying in the slightest. I believe my dad had it on a VHS tape, and we crawled into our fort to give it a watch. I knew it was a scary movie, so I was supposed to be scared while watching it. I recall watching the majority of the 80-minute runtime through my fingers while my dad narrated the plot to me. I'm pretty sure I wasn't even scared, but I knew I should be scared, and I enjoyed that feeling. If I remember correctly, I soon requested to rewatch the movie and definitely didn't cover my eyes as much the second time around. Thus began my lifelong love of horror. And thinking about why I've always liked horror, I also had to ask why it seems so many people don't like horror. So let's dive into the psychology of horror for a bit. Dr. Matthias Klassen, an expert on the psychology of fear, wrote a piece in Psychology Today on this exact question. According to his research, somewhere between a quarter and a third of people said they don't like horror movies. He first notes that a fair amount of this population might just not understand the breadth of the genre itself, thinking that every movie is a bloody, gory murder show, when that is, of course, not the case. But what he really boils it down to is that there is a sweet spot of fear. But what he really boils it down to is that there is a sweet spot of fear, the ultimate crossover of enjoyment and terror, and that everyone's sweet spot is just a little bit different. Everyone needs different levels of sensation in order to feel fear, with some personalities simply enjoying horror more because they get a bigger rush of adrenaline from a good jump scare or a well-executed kill than others do. 
And there are heaps of evidence to also point to the fact that these kinds of people build up a bigger tolerance for horror over time, meaning their sweet spot will move throughout their life. So clearly, my sweet spot was higher than many six-year-old girls. I wanted more scares, and my parents obliged, but without putting anything in front of my eyes that would certainly scar me for life. I read children's horror like Goosebumps, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and American Chillers over and over and over again. And once I got a little bit older, I eventually graduated to every Stephen King book I could get my hands on. Alfred Hitchcock, the master of suspense himself, had a serialized TV show called Alfred Hitchcock Presents, which told scary, mysterious stories. One of the discs from that box set was pretty much always in our DVD player, either that or The Twilight Zone. At this point, I'm sure you're like, nerd alert! This kid was cranking through DVDs of a 1950s cable mystery series when she was like nine? Can't relate. No, you probably can't, but I'm sure at least some of you can remember run-ins with horror from your childhood. For children, the scary can be very scary. The world is big and unfamiliar, but the scary can also be exciting. That's the sweet spot. Forbidden fruit. You know you shouldn't watch Friday the 13th because you heard Jason Voorhees is really scary, but that is precisely why you want to watch it. Is there any greater thrill than doing something your parents don't want you to do? Hopping on one of the Saw movies during a sleepover after the adults have gone to bed is exhilarating when you're a kid. Although when my friend Stephanie and I put on Saw, we found the cable channel that was airing it was in fact airing the movie entirely in Spanish, which toned down the scares a little bit for us. I've heard a lot of people who don't like horror say that real life is scary enough. Why would they want to spend time being reminded about how violent, unpredictable, and upsetting it can be when instead you can watch, say, 13 going on 30? That's their sweet spot talking, and it's probably quite a bit lower than mine. Which, like, good for them. Maybe they don't think about cults and home invasions as frequently as I do. But at least my horror movie knowledge gives me a plan of action if I do find myself in a cult in the middle of the Swedish countryside, right? Humans are inherently curious. My curiosity is kind of the core of why I love movies so much. I think my man Martin Scorsese said that if a movie is good, it should always teach you something. You should learn something about humanity, about the art of filmmaking, learn about what makes you laugh or cry or cower in fear. And I love to learn, and movies have been a great education for me. Horror usually revolves around scenarios the average person would never experience, or at least never hope to experience. That's precisely why it's so interesting. They make you evaluate how you'd react if you found yourself being stalked by an STI-like killer, like in It Follows, or if your child was possessed by a demon, like in The Exorcist. So often what you learn from horror is something about yourself. I think this is a core tenet of why horror movies can be nostalgic. The way they shock and scare you can also be a moment, especially in your youth, when you learn about yourself. Since my early teenage years, I've loved psychological horror, and I think it really started with The Shining. My friends and I watched The Shining several times, gathered in a dark basement, transfixed by the weird, confusing, and scary movie. I was probably 13 when I first watched The Shining, and I had never seen anything like it. What does the picture at the end mean? Who is the creepy naked lady in room 237? It still doesn't make much sense to me, and it certainly didn't make sense to me when I was 13, but that's why I loved it. I think what The Shining taught me about myself is that I like the unknowable, the unanswerable. Donnie Darko, The Lighthouse, Possession, Enemy, and even Hereditary leave you with questions. They're movies that don't lay all their cards on the table, and I love walking away from a good movie with lingering questions. 
What is scarier than what you don't know? If you remember back in episode one of the show, I talked about a cultural nostalgia, which is a shared collective experience that people have when consuming media. I do have nostalgic memories of wandering out of a theater on a blazing hot August day after seeing Midsummer Alone, or being flabbergasted at the tone shift in the midpoint of Barbarian, and laughing aloud to myself in the nearly empty theater. I still appreciate those memories even if I experienced them by myself, and I highly recommend seeing a movie by yourself if you never have. But I do think horror is best consumed with others. It's delightful when you're sitting in a packed theater hearing gasps and shouts during jump scares and big reveals. There's always that one person who screams, oh hell no, when the monster is revealed or the bad guy is about to stab the hero, and the shouting makes me laugh every time. It provides some relief from the fear when you know you're going through it with 200 strangers. On a similar note, popping on a horror movie when hanging out with friends is standard practice, right? I feel like ever since my days watching The Shining in my friend's basement, horror is usually the genre of choice when watching a movie in a group. It's delightful to provide commentary on the character's stupid decisions and to squirm at gory scenes with your friends. Horror movies are usually easy to follow plot-wise and follow such standard plot structures that they're perfect for a gathering. If you tune out for a bit to go grab a drink from the other room or play a card game while the movie is on in the background, no worries. You probably still know exactly what's going on. Certainly the similarities between horror movies can get a little repetitive, but those expectations provide consistency that keeps horror movies accessible and watchable. On the note of cultural nostalgia, I also want to discuss how horror movies so often reflect the broader fears of our society at any given time. On the note of cultural nostalgia, I also want to discuss how horror movies so often reflect the broader fears of our society at any given time. It's no coincidence that the endless B-grade horror movies of the 1950s often focused on mutant monsters and alien invasions, reflecting Cold War unrest, McCarthyism, and threats of atomic war. As a religious counterculture emerged in the late 1960s, movies like The Exorcist, The Omen, and Rosemary's Baby drew on middle American fears of cults and devil worship. More modernly, Get Out, released in 2017, is a masterful reflection of 21st century America, where microaggressions and white progressivism mask deep-seated systemic racism. I could go on and on. Many horror movies incorporate this cultural subtext well. Also, there's a lot of good think pieces online about this, which I recommend you read if it interests you. All of this comes back to Mr. Scorsese's point that I mentioned earlier, good movies teach you something. And all of these movies teach you something about our society at the time that they were released. These subtexts also allow audiences to more deeply relate to the films and give these movies a sense of time and place in history. Sure, I really like The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby. Both are scary movies with good stories, but I can't really relate to the broader societal fears around devil worship. I connect more with Get Out or movies like Under the Skin that explore sexual identity and classism. Not every horror movie is that smart, nor do they need to be. But the next time you watch a really good horror movie, ask yourself if its themes reflect something you can relate to or something relevant in the world at the moment. Not every horror movie is that smart, nor do they need to be. But the next time you watch a really good horror movie, ask yourself if its themes reflect something you can relate to or something relevant in the world at the moment. You might be surprised by what you uncover. 
Now listen, horror movies as a broad genre aren't perfect. They still struggle with representation in every sense of the word. Violence, particularly against women, is often juxtaposed with humor or eroticism in a way that is just plain icky. The male gaze is strong in the horror genre, and to me that often comes back to lack of women being given opportunities to work behind the camera on horror sets. In her song All American Bitch, Olivia Rodrigo sarcastically sings, And oh boy, do I feel that. Violence for the sake of violence in horror movies does not do much for me. And there's a big difference in playing horror for laughs and making a poor joke about something actually sadistic. Maybe for Olivia and I, those kinds of movies are outside of the sweet spot that I was talking about earlier. But at the end of the day, horror movies are pretty dang neat. They can be scary, funny, weird, and wildly unique. They can give you a jolt of adrenaline and give you something really weird to discuss with your coworkers. And if you ask me, they can just be really fun. And at the end of the day, isn't that what any form of entertainment should be? With that, I conclude my thoughts on horror movies. Almost. Before I go, I did want to leave you a few recommendations if you're looking for a horror movie to watch. Any of the movies I already mentioned in this episode are totally worth seeing. I don't think I named any bad ones. But here are a few more, maybe slightly more niche suggestions you may not have already checked out. First, I wanted to mention The Descent. As of recording this episode, it's available on Max for streaming. It is about a group of women who go cave diving and uncover some really messed up shit. It's extra scary if you're claustrophobic or don't like splunking. And I stand by it being literally one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. My next shout out is Train to Busan. For the love of God, please watch more non-English language movies. It's not that hard. Subtitles are really easy. This is a good one to start with. It's brilliant, brutal, and a fun zombie flick that takes place almost entirely on a train. Going to Busan, of course. It's currently available on Amazon Prime, Hoopla, Canopy, and the Roku channel. If you have not heard of Hoopla and Canopy, do yourself a favor. If you have a library card, these are streaming services that you can get of no cost to you, and they have really good movie catalogs. This is not sponsored. I wish it was. I'm just giving them a shout out because they're so wonderful. I did mention this earlier in the episode, but check out Under the Skin. It's definitely artsy and maybe not for everybody, but even though I haven't seen it in years, it still sticks with me. Jonathan Glazer is a really good director. He has another movie coming out this year called The Zone of Interest that's getting a lot of awards buzz. So he's definitely a director worth checking out. And like I said, this movie still kind of haunts my brain and I haven't seen it in many years. You can find it streaming on Max and Canopy. My next shout out is Don't Look Now. This is perhaps a bit more of a thriller than it is a horror movie, but it's a true masterpiece to me. And I think it should be required viewing for anybody who likes the psychological thriller genre. Plus, there's a really famous sex scene in it, so why not? I don't think this is streaming anywhere at the moment, but it's definitely worth renting for $3 on Amazon or iTunes. Next is The Fly, the 1986 version. I love David Cronenberg movies, and this is probably my favorite of his. There's some great body horror effects, and Jeff Goldblum is really good in the movie. It is totally worth your time, and it actually kind of has like a touchy-feely pull-at-the-heartstrings ending, which is really unique for a horror movie. You can stream it now on Max. And finally, I wanted to mention one of my favorite movies of all time, and what is probably the greatest remake ever made, which is The Thing from 1982. 
John Carpenter is an absolute master of horror. If you don't know, he also directed the original Halloween movie, and he really amps up the paranoia all the way through to the end of the thing. Beyond the Great Plot is incredible creature design that you just don't see these days in our CGI world. It doesn't look like it's streaming at the moment, but I highly recommend renting it on a cold, cold night. Just trust me. Those are my recommendations. Thank you for listening to me ramble about why I love scary movies and happy horror watching. Thank you for joining me on this nostalgia trip. If you liked what you heard, follow the podcast to keep tripping through time with us. And if you're feeling extra supportive, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at NostalgiaTripPod for bonus content, episode release schedules, and more. Want to hear a certain topic or have a recommendation for the pod? Email us at NostalgiaTripPod at gmail.com. Until next time. <laughs>